you know, wink, wink. I had to step to the side because of the Antichrist. Today is Saturday, the 12th of December, Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe, Empress of the Americas. Welcome to episode 132 of the Born Hard Podcast. This is Mark Doherty sitting in for Super Nerd, and we have Anne and Dr. Matza. Hello! In this, ep- in this hey episode... There. Hi, guys. And, and, Mark, and Mark has the sniffles, and he's... I do. And he's contagious, and so you might literally die from listening to this podcast. Keep your keep your mucous membranes away from the however you're <laughs> however you're taking this in. <laughs> we uh, we the uh, the episode today will be focused on uh, the latest the English publication I should say of the latest interview slash whatever you want to call it between Peter Seewald and Pope Benedict, which is being released. One day next week, is it the 15th or 16th, Dr. Massa? The 15th. So I just thought to, uh, I, I started making notes to, to kind of bullet point maybe some of our topics today. And I came across, it's very interesting, I came across uh, my notes from, I think the last podcast that Ann and I did together before Dr. Matza crashed onto the scene. And this was on the 2nd of May of this year. So more or less, that's maybe uh, maybe five weeks into the Corona doom. Is that about right? Third week of March, 2nd mm-hmm. of May? Yeah. So, so here are my thought starters for that one. Convergence of NWO, anti-church, and Corona cold with Bergoglio as key player. If you think shutting down the mass and sacraments has anything to do with public health, you aren't paying attention. How the diabolical always tell you who they are and what their plans are. And diabolical disorientation causing stupidity and the inability to see conspiracies that are openly manifest. Boy, that could be right here today on the 12th of December, couldn't it? Prescient, prescient is the word, I believe. Well done, sir. But before we get started, Dr. Matza has some exciting news about the addition of this spring semester of his classes that we're all enjoying so much right now. Dr. Matza. Thank you. Yes, like a bad penny, I'm coming back. Um, <laughs> <laughs> bouncing back. So we have uh, one month from today, January the 12th, we'll have our first Church History 102 class, uh, followed the next day by, uh, by World History 102. Uh, so this is essentially the spring semester, and we're going to tr- take church history from St. Francis to Our Lady of Fatima from 1217 to 1917. Uh, going to cover all kind of great topics like uh, Martin Luther's Reformation, St. Ignatius of Loyola, Teresa of Avila, Council of Trent, Battle of Lepanto, uh, St. Margaret Mary and the Sacred Heart, the Russian Revolution. It's going to be jam-packed. Um, and world history, too, for that matter. Um, the Reformation with Henry VIII, uh, Counter-Reformation, Industrial Revolution, Marxism, Darwinism, it's, it's all in there. Wow, it's going to be lit. And guys, can I just testify, and I know Mark will back me up on this, the classes heretofore have been fascinating and 
just worth every penny doesn't even begin to describe it. And I, for one, just can't wait to see how all of this, all of this ends. So, you know, the, the suspense <laughs> is killing me, as it were. <laughs> no, but, no, but seriously, guys, I mean, it's, it's, these courses have valuable information that it's it's not rehashing things that you've heard before there's new information in every class session you're like oh man i didn't know that oh man that's so interesting that's so cool so and i mean yeah it would be it would be better if you had been around for the 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 fall semester i mean but maybe you can do it next fall you're not going to be missing anything if you weren't around for the fall semester and you start with the spring semester it's just that you're going to be starting with as Dr. Matza said, you're gonna be starting with St. Francis of Assisi and going forward. I mean, that's not too bad. That's that's <laughs> cool. You're not so you're not gonna. It's not as if you're gonna be lost or anything. So one. And, oh, and by the way, it's not the Francis of Assisi from Tutti Frutti or uh, Fratelli right. Tutti. <laughs> yeah, it's the manly macho real St. Francis of Assisi. So if you want to hear, if you if you want to hear St. Francis be rehabilitated, I'm sure Dr. Matza is gonna do that in spades. So um, all of that is gonna be in the show notes and guys seriously you know look into it and uh, yes we're all working on the assumption that we're all going to be alive next spring so you know always optimistic always hopeful and uh you know we just you just keep going forward one day at a time and if our lord returns in glory or saint peter and paul appear in the sky over rome with flaming swords hey so much the better so much the better but you know for the meantime we're just going to keep going um as we can so consider it not not much to add there uh the the two points i was going to make were uh you will come away every single class with something you didn't know before now now how many you know how many opportunities do you have like that that you're going to learn guaranteed to learn something new i'm really putting you on the spot now, Dr. Matza, but guaranteed <laughs> to learn something new in every class. And the other point I was going to make was this is not your, your grandfather's history course. This is delivered in a style. If you, if you, if you don't get it from Dr. Matza on these podcasts or on his radio show, it's just delivered in such a format with his style that it goes by in a heartbeat. You're at the, every class. It's just, you're flying through it. So highly recommended. Thank you. Okay. Guys. And we have a special going on. So if folks um, sign up by December 31st, it's one course for 300 and uh, two courses for 450. And um, we'd love to have everybody. Uh, just go to edmondmaza.com. And of course, if you can't listen to the course in real time and you have signed up, Dr. Matza sends you a link to a specific uh, a file that you can go to and you can download and listen to the course if for whatever reason you weren't able to be there in real time. And I assume, Dr. Matza, that there's a handful of people in each class session for, for whom that is the case, and they end up having to listen to it after the fact. There's all, you can also listen to it after the fact and review it again. You say, wait, I want to listen to the part about XYZ again. It's totally available, so don't, don't worry about, well, oh my gosh, what if I have to miss it on this and such day? It's cool. You just, you just get the link and you listen to it ex post facto. Exactly, exactly. Okay, so let's launch into Benedict the Sixteenth, A Life, Volume 1. This hits, I'm looking at the notes now, it hits Amazon. This is the English version that is being released on Tuesday, 
December the 15th. So what we'll be working with here are the algorithmic translations from the German. And the first one up that I have is Papa Benedetto. Are you following the events in the church? Yes. You didn't want to write a spiritual will. Have you done it now? Yes. Drop mic. <laughs> Go ahead, Dr. Matza. Launch us off here. Well, there's the hidden lead right there. Uh, you know, the funny thing is, though, about so let me explain the genesis of this. Uh, so back in May, the German the native German edition came out. Seawald is German, so is Papa Benedetto. Um, and it's the whole book. It's actually, I, I got it on Kindle, okay? And it's, it's not volume one, it's, it's just everything. And the last chapter is an interview by, you know, Seawald with Papa Benedetto. And uh, that, that must have been conducted, I assume, around this time last year, probably a year ago. And so that's what that's what we're getting here in my algorithmic Google Translate translation here. Um, but the funny thing is, um, I don't think that what's coming out with, in English is actually going to include this final chapter. I mean, maybe it will, but it looks like it's his life from his birth to uh, the Second Vatican Council. Um, so I'm, I'm, what you're going to get here is probably still exclusive in English uh, because I, I'm not entirely sure that... Uh, there's anything out there but the German, even after December 15th. Well, then we've got the exclusive. Let's run with it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so the spiritual will, I mean, stop the phone. Is this microphone on? Um, that's that's going to be the new third secret. <laughs> you know, orange is the new black. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the right. The spiritual will of Benedetto is the new, uh, is the new third secret. Are, who's got it? How are we going to get it? Are we going to get all of it? And does that have anything to do with um, another thing we're going to be talking about today? And that is 96-year-old communist uh, Scalfari is dropping some bombs lately. Uh, it seems like we might have to include him in VIP. Uh, <laughs> things are getting <laughs> things are getting curiouser and curiouser, as Alice once said. This is this is what's so awful because you know whatever is in Pope Benedict's um, spiritual testament is going to go through the hands of Ganswine. And Ganswine can be trusted as far as he can be thrown by his eyebrows. Um, so yeah, I mean, in it, I, I, hate, I hate conspiracy theorism as, as much as the next person. But when, when it's real, it's real. And everything is going to be filtered through Ganswine. And as Frank Walker so brilliantly named this dynamic of Ganswine just filtering everything and who knows what is coming out of the mind of Ganswine and what's actually coming out of the Holy Father Pope Benedict, Frank Walker of Canon 212 named this the Benedict Bot, which is such an apt uh, name for this. Who the heck knows what's real, what's not? It's, it's, it's maddening. And yes, I wish I could say, okay, the spiritual testament will be the final, will be the final word and that'll be the end of it. I can't say that because I know that Ganswine is a dishonest player in this. And I can say that personally, maybe other people would not be willing to go that far, but I'm the person who's willing to say what everyone else is thinking, but it, but doesn't really want to go all the way to saying. I don't, Ganswine can't be trusted. 
And so whatever this spiritual testament says, if, if the Holy Father Pope Benedict is dead in his soup right now, it, whatever comes out tomorrow or next week after Pope Benedict dies, yeah, people are going to be saying, what, what is going on here on both sides? And that's the problem with all this. So what, what, what um, Dr. Matzo, what exactly are we expecting and or what does the, the Seawall book go into? Well, the, um, it, again, he just, it's one bomb after another here. So the next question is uh, your visit to the grave of Pope Celestine V in 2009, the only Pope who resigned before you. Now that's strictly true if you include the word voluntarily, okay? Um, what was behind it? And then uh, either Benedict or the Benedict bot, depending on how you interpret this, says, uh, the visit to the tomb of Pope Celestine V was more of a coincidence, but I was well aware that the situation of Celestine V was unique and could not serve as a model, i.e. for me, in any way. Again, okay. stop the presses. <laughs> You mean you mean just flat out resigning could not serve as a model? Mm -mm. Hmm. Then what did he do? Then what did he do? Oh, and, and, and interestingly, you brought up Archbishop Ganswine. Ganswine himself, in the speech at the Greg in 2016, echoed this exact sentiment that it was in no way like what Pope Celestine had done. Like, me, just right? resigning, uh, yes. <laughs> it's completely the, new. It's completely the, innovative. I mean, it's just... The, the, the exact words that Ganswine used were referring to uh, what Pope Benedict did versus what Pope Celestine did. The words were entirely different. Hmm. 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 Indeed. Indeed. He's not lying. <laughs> Or, uh, to quote the 96-year-old communist, buddy, buddy of uh, Bergoglio, uh, a situation of this sort has never happened. Indeed. Speaking about the current situation. Let's, now, let's, Dr. Matza, Hold on. Just... Let's, let's review and fill, fill the, the listenership in and catch them up if they don't know who Scalfari is. Scalfari is the, he's 96, he's an atheist, he's a Freemason, and he is the, he is the Italian equivalent of the publisher of the New York Times. So he's like the pinch, the pinch Salzburger of, of Italy, okay? And so Bergoglio has these meetings with him, and, and Scalfari's shtick is that he doesn't take notes, he just reconstructs everything after the fact. So he has these conversations with Bergoglio. Bergoglio, you know, denies the divinity of Christ and denies the existence of hell and affirms that he believes that the worst that can happen to a human being is soul annihilation, and on and on and on. And then Scalfari publishes this garbage. And then Bergoglio, the Vatican, none of them say a word. None of them issue any correction, any denial of any of it. Not one word of denial or correction about any of it for the last seven years that this has been going on. 
And let me reiterate, this guy is like the publisher of the New York Times, and this stuff is being published in the Italian equivalent of the New York Times as a newspaper. So it's not like this is this is Bergoglio talking to some obscure um, Catholic Vaticanista reporter, and you know a few thousand people at most are reading any of this. All Italians see it. It gets disseminated into the global um, into the global journalistic. Oof. I mean, it, this is the New York Times of Italy. So this is this is big time what he's doing. And Bergoglio is doing this crap intentionally. He's seeding, he's seeding all of these ideas, these Freemasonic ideas, tearing down the church, denying the divinity of our Lord with with this guy. He, but he never denies anything and has plausible deniability because everyone says, well, Scalfari is a 96-year-old man who's just reconstructing this stuff from memory, so you can't believe anything he says. Well, if you can't believe anything he says, why hasn't there been a correction on any of it, first of all? And second of all, why does Bergoglio keep going back to him time and time? And this, what, this is the eighth or ninth, I think, in the last seven and a half, seven and three quarter years. This is the eighth or ninth time that that Scalfari has published an interview, a reconstructed interview with Bergoglio. If someone is mangling your words, if anyone were to mangle my words, I, I would never I would never do business or associate with them ever again. Bergoglio keeps going back and back and back to this guy. So it's clear what's going on here. Bergoglio is using Scalfari as his mouthpiece with plausible deniability cover. And where have we just recently heard the term plausible deniability? Oh, that's right, Joe Biden and his family. Remember, remember what uh, Joe Biden's brother said to, to um, what's Bobulinski? his name? Yes, to Bobulinski. He, Bobulinski said, how do, you, how do you guys get away with this? And um, Biden's brother said, <laughs> plausible deniability. Exactly, that's how these people roll. Okay, dismount soapbox. So, so this latest episode, uh, Dr. Matza, this is uh, w- with Scalfari and, and Saki sort of uh, uh, taking his, his rant to it. But the difference here is, you know, Francis is Francis BIP. <laughs> the demons well, have to confess. That, the demons have yeah, to confess. The demons have to confess. Mm-hmm. That's right. <sighs> Well, you know, it, it, and also just to set the scene even further, I mean, he's constantly bringing his new quote unquote cardinals to, to be reviewed mm-hmm. by uh, Papa Benedetto. To kiss the uh, ring. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's that's another factor in here. But so so I guess we can go kind of go back and forth between uh, Seawald and Scalfari here. And and in, and in terms of Scalfari, I, we've got an English translation of an article by Sochi. And, uh, you know, Sochi is BIP and he reads this and he's trying to understand where is Scalfari, i.e. Bergoglio, coming from when when they start using curious uh, phrases here. Um, For example, um, Scalfari opens his article by saying, in these hours, an intellectual agreement is being confirmed of great interest in the Catholic Church and not only there. It is an agreement between two pontiffs. Pope Francis and Pope Ratzinger. Uh, and then um, 
it, again, it shows uh, a photo of the two popes at a consistory. Um, and then uh, it says here, uh, let's see, even the great issues of humanity on which, according to Scalfari, they supposedly agree are not clarified. It, there's all these weird phrases that Scalfari is using here to kind of describe the, the, current situ the current papal situation. Uh, he says that there's a fraternal understanding between the two, uh, already discussed for some time by the two present popes whose equality uh, is recognized for some time in terms of thought. It's it, weird stuff. Um, today, today we can almost imagine the presence of two popes who succeed in facing the great themes of humanity together. Um, and um, so the question is, is what, uh, what exactly is, uh, or, or what are they up to here by trying to assert in some fashion that, that Benedict is Pope or co-Pope or some, some iteration of that? I think so they're, tr they're trying to convince the people that the situation is normal so that nobody asks any questions, I suspect. And you know what? They're successful at that. If you look at Novus Ordo publication polls, a lot of a, a lot of the people will say there are two popes if given a choice who's the pope benedict um bergoglio nobody or both a, a significant number of novus orduus will say both of them are the pope i was and just going to uh, add this I'm, go ahead were you getting no, that ahead. that one last quote um from sochi's piece scalafari continues in an enigmatic way he says that a situation of this sort has never happened. Hmm. To which he adds, uh, Benedict XVI has resigned from his former functions, functions. but he's still, mm. the, <laughs> mm -hmm. but he is still the holder of his theoretical functions that will last <laughs> as long as his life will allow him. Somebody pour me a drink. <laughs> what does that even mean? His, his theoretical functions. Oh my God. That last part was important. What were those last few words? As long as his life will, will allow, him. allow him. So again, this fits, I mean, we've gone over this a hundred times, but it fits with what seems to be the core tenet of the, the uh, substantial error, mm -hmm. which is Benedict's belief that the papacy is an indelible mark, like like becoming a bishop is an indelible mark, and that's false. That's false. Yep. He can he can cutesy pants quasi resign, but because he has this substantially erroneous belief, and this. All evidence actually does point to this. All of the, all of the, you know, 50 years of this academic writing that these Germans were doing about this. If you, if you read Ratzinger, it really, really sounds like he actually believes this, that he believes that the papacy is an indelible office exactly like the like the priesthood or the episcopacy which it is not it is a purely juridical office which is why you can resign popes can resign and this is an error that i'm still seeing a lot in com boxes if you look at something on life site news or you know whatever websites one still visits that 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 have com boxes you frequently see people say 
nope, the, the papacy is forever. He couldn't resign. No, guys, please, literally, for the love of God and for Holy Mother Church, you've got to stop saying this because it is objectively false. A man can validly resign the papacy. The issue is Pope Benedict didn't resign validly. He, his, his resignation was invalid 12 ways from Sunday from the, from the perspective of su substantial error, first of all, and secondly, the whole question of coercion, which is becoming more and more clear and brought into um, contrast and relief as all of this Chinese stuff is exposed, as all of the sodomitical McCarrick stuff is exposed, as all of the um, Vatican Bank and billions of dollars billions and billions of dollars being laundered and fraudulently invested and all of this garbage passing through the Vatican, the coercion argument gets stronger and stronger and stronger. It's way stronger now than it was when I even recorded my first video on this. I kind of glanced over it, but boy, now we've, we just have more and more and more evidence about that. So please, guys, stop saying a pope can't resign. A pope can resign. The issue is that he didn't do it validly. He only did it halfway, and he probably did it under coercion, which is a double, a double invalidation. Now, uh, to, to, to slightly play devil's advocate here, I want to say this, that it, it is true that he's been criticized for making the papacy, you know, have an indelible mark, which it doesn't. I mean, Roberto Di Mattei, uh, Robert Moynihan, um, even uh, the guy who wrote the biography of Pope John Paul, um, Weigel, the neocon Weigel, guy. Weigel, Thank yeah. you. Okay. <laughs> yeah. They've all taken him to task for that. <clears throat> but actually, I think when you get into the weeds on this, I don't think that he thinks that it's uh, an indelible mark. I, I, I can kind of explain this a little bit here by using his own words to Seewald, okay, in okay. this new, in this latest um, interview that he gives him, okay? Um, it's like this. First of all, and this is the insight that I hope I brought to the table um, earlier this year, uh, is that what do we mean when we say Pope? I mean, it seems that there are two elements to it. Mm. There is the aspect of being Bishop of Rome, and there's, there's the aspect of being vicar of Christ. Mm -hmm. uh, and I stumbled across the, the concept that, uh, according to some theologians, it might be possible to separate the two. And that's how I got into this. But um, when I look at the latest thing from uh, Ratzinger to Seewald, basically Seewald puts the question to him and says, what is an emeritus bishop or pope? And the Holy Father answers, this word emerito meant that he was no longer an active bishop, but was in the special relationship of a former bishop to his seat. In this respect, on the one hand, the need was taken to define his office in relation to a real diocese without making him a second bishop of his diocese. So at, 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 the, at the most basic level, Papa Emeritus or, or Pope Emeritus means Bishop of Rome Emeritus. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, in these, in these Benedict bot statements or in, in these authentic statements, uh, that is how Ratzinger defines who he is. 
so there's this mystery. What does it mean to be Pope Emeritus? And really what it means is Bishop of Rome Emeritus. He's not the current Bishop of Rome. He sees himself as the former Bishop. However, he goes on to say here, uh, the word emerito indicated that he had given up his office in full, but the spiritual connection to his previous seat was now also recognized as a legal quality. And he says that um, there, uh, so there, he sees, a, this is, these are his words, at the same time, uh, it does not create any participation in the concrete legal content of the episcopate, that is to say his status as Pope Emeritus, it does not create any participation in the concrete legal content of the episcopate, but at the same time, it sees the spiritual bond as a reality. So there are not two bishops, but there is a spiritual mandate, the essence of which is to serve from the inside, from the Lord in praying with and for his previous bishopric. Uh, so um, I'll, I'll stop there and see if you guys wanna comment on that. Mark, go ahead. Well, all of that though leaves entirely aside the question of Vicar of Christ. So everything, exactly. everything that you just said there was his relationship to the sea, which happens to be the Sea of Rome, which has been con connected to the victor, Vicar of Christ uh, from almost the very beginning, not entirely from the beginning, but almost from the very beginning, to the extent that most theologians say that the diocese, the sea can't be separated from the vicarship. Most theologians, but could it be possible? These are kind of the things that we're, that we're poking at, right? Exactly. And, and so Seawold follows up with a follow-up question and says, yeah, I get the concept of Bishop Emeritus. You know, it's been going on for a while now. And then he says specifically, but does that also apply to the Pope? And this is very curious the way Ratzinger answers this. He says, it is not clear why this legal figure should not be applied to the Bishop of Rome either. Uh, now, be before I give you his words, maybe I should chime in and, and give the, the Maza hypothesis here, mm -hmm. uh, or at least the latest iteration of the Maza hypothesis. <laughs> and that is that my answer to the Holy Father is, uh, no, this legal figure cannot be applied to the Bishop of Rome, okay? Because unlike every other bishop in the Catholic Church, no other diocese has Vicar of Christ indelibly attached to it. You see, so I, I could be the Bishop of New York and I could retire. Okay, then you want to call me Bishop Emeritus, right, fine and dandy. Okay, you want to claim that, you know, I, I no longer have an administrative or a legal role, fine, but I still have a spiritual connection. Fine, we'll grant you that. Uh, although that kind of thing did not go on before Vatican II, but anyway. Right, I, but you know, let's reiterate is, that a lot of people yeah. don't realize that. They think the whole Bishop Emeritus thing has been going on since time immemorial. Guys, no, that, mm. even that is an innovation of Vatican yes. II. So, you know, just bear that in mind as you, as you contemplate and roll this around in your head that maybe because we know that that Vatican II is just is a dumpster fire and maybe that whole business of instituting this this situation of having bishops emeriti 
um, is part of a grand Luciferian Freemasonic plan to prime the pump for exactly what's going on now. There should not be Bishop Emeriti. Um, and after the, uh, the triumph of the Immaculate Heart, there won't be. I'm, qu I'm quite certain there won't be. So continue. Yeah, so, but just for the sake of argument, let's just grant that you could be <clears throat> Bishop Emer Emeritus and have a, a spiritual connection, but not a legal, functional, um, active governance uh, of the current diocese. Um, that doesn't work for Bishop of Rome. I'm sorry to interrupt the Holy Father here, but it doesn't work because Vicar of Christ is supposed to be connected to the uh, Diocese of Rome in such a way that according to most theologians, they are inseverable. Um, you know, like, like, like a marriage. I mean, once it's, it's consummated and if it's done properly, uh, it's, it's, it's lifelong and it's, and let what God has joined together, let no man, you know, put asunder. Um, and the problem with this is that, um, again, for the sake of argument, let's just say that for the sake of argument, uh, Francis was the new Pope and then he would be Bishop of Rome. And he, and the problem with that is whoever is the authentic Bishop of Rome, if, if Vicar of Christ is inseparable from it is also Vicar of Christ. Now, if, if, if Ratzinger was claiming to be Bishop Emeritus of Rome, you can't be Bishop Emeritus of Rome and claim a spiritual connection to the diocese without simultaneously inventing um, Vicar of Christ Emeritus. You know what I'm trying to say? Um, if, if you're going to say you can't have one without the other, then you can't claim to be po uh, Bishop Emeritus of Rome without claiming to be Vicar of Christ Emeritus. And that, even more so than Bishop Emeritus, is complete, for, quite frankly, heresy. Um, wh what I found out in my research was that during the Jansenist period, early modern France, there was a pamphlet that was circulating trying to claim that both St. Paul and St. Peter shared the papacy or shared being vicar of Christ. And the, the Holy Father at the time uh, had to come out, and you can look this up in Denzinger, and condemn that as a heresy. You can't say that. Um, and, you know, I, I've gone into detail on that in, in the various articles that you've published for me. Um, you guys have, have posted for me. Um, but anyway, so if, if somebody wants to go back, they can look up the specific arguments here. So um, I was interrupting the flow of what Benedict says to Seawald here. He says, it is not clear why this legal figure should not be applied to the Bishop of Rome either. And we just cleared that up, why there is a problem. Um, in this formula, both are given no specific legal power of attorney anymore, but a spiritual assignment that remains, albeit invisible, this legal spiritual form avoids any thought of a coexistence of two popes. A bishopric can only have one owner. At the same time, a spiritual connection is expressed that cannot be removed under any circumstances. Uh, and he says that um, a father, uh, it was previously objected to the resignation of a bishop that he was a father and a father cannot be withdrawn. Fatherhood is not only ontological, it is also functional. And what he goes on to say is he talks about the Bavarian farmer. Do you remember that? Um, he says, for, for the listenership, review it. Okay. So he says here, there is a change of generations in which the father gives up his legal position. He no longer has the uh, pater potestas, but has to do this to the son at the right moment as the generations change. 
I find this very nicely expressed in the way it was common among Bavarian farmers. There is the so-called discharge, spatially represented by a, a simple house that stands next to the large courtyard. The father hands over his property to the son. He moves from the large farm residence to the hostel and also receives a hostel in the manner of material donations, food, money, etc. This ensures his material independence as well as the transfer of concrete rights to the son. And here's the important line. This means that the spiritual side of being a father remains while on the side of concrete rights and obligations, the situation changes accordingly. So let me interpret this. What, what Benedict is saying is that right now, uh, Bergoglio is exercising the concrete functions or the legal functions, practical functions of the Bishop of Rome, but he, Benedetto, still has the spiritual side because you can't stop ontologically being a father. Okay, so he believes in his heart of hearts, if all of his public statements over the last eight years are to be, be believed, Benedetto believes in his heart that he has a spiritual connection to the Petrine office that cannot go away um, under any circumstances. Now, there's only two ways of understanding that. Either he thinks that he is this you know, bishop emeritus, or he thinks and knows that he is vicar of Christ still, and that he has separated uh, vicar of Christ from Bishop of Rome. <clears throat> and, and there are some theologians that think that's possible. Uh, and they're not lightweights either, but they are in the minority. But either way, he's still vicar of Christ, because either he made substantial error in thinking that he could be bishop emeritus, but you can't because then you'd have to be vicar of Christ emeritus. And that's an, that's an ontological impossibility. So you can't be, so he, he resigned in, in a, you know, half cocked way. It's not possible to do that. Or he deliberately using his full power, but secretly separated vicar of Christ from Bishop of Rome, in which case um, he can be Bishop emeritus to his heart's content. And, and, and Bergoglio can, can have at it as Bishop of Rome, but Benedetto is the only vicar of Christ. Yeah, let me let me jump on two things, two terms or two concepts that that really jumped out while you were just um, reciting what Pope Benedict says in this book. The first thing I want to say is this this business of speaking out of both sides of your mouth is why I have basically zero um, appreciation or, or I don't want to say I have zero respect, but I have very little respect, no offense, Dr. Matza, for modern academics, because I have seen so much of this, and especially since I've gotten engaged in churchy stuff, of this business of not speaking clearly and literally in one sentence with, with you know, maybe a semicolon as a separator, um, saying things that are diametrically opposed and thinking that you're, that you're cute for doing that. This is the quintessence of the German Academy, and it's been that way for decades and decades and decades and decades. Let's, let's show everybody how smart we are by saying diametrically opposed things and then acting like we're making some, some grand revelation or something like this. Let's go back to the words of our Lord in the Gospel. 
Let your yes be yes and your no be no, and anything over and above that is evil. It's not merely um, ungraceful. It's evil. Speak clearly. Don't go back and forth. Don't try to BS people. Don't try to BS the world. The other thing I want to jump on is something that you said very, very early in the quote, and I'll ask you to go back if you can find the word invisible very early in the quote that you made. Do you know what I'm saying? Do you, yeah, let can, me go can back you, Can you that. repeat that about <clears throat> the invisibility of his office? And then I'm going to jump all over that. Yeah, uh, let me see. Do, 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 do. I just so while, while Dr. Matza is yeah. while Dr. Matza is searching for that, if you don't know what Anne's talking about, go ahead and compare and contrast anything. And basically, this is something that's at the root of modernism as well. Yeah. But go back and read literally anything from Leo the Thirteenth yeah. or Pius the Tenth, and yep. contrast that with what we've got today. It's like being punched in the face in the good sense, in the, you know, in the No Agenda podcast, being punched in the face sense. It's just, it's completely clear. It's not messing around. I'm so glad you said that. Leo XIII and Pius X, but especially Leo XIII, he was so prolific. And you would think, oh man, that's, that's got to be really hard reading papal encyclicals. Oh no, oh no. Reading Leo XIII's encyclicals, they're light as a feather and they're they're crystal, crystal clear. And you will then appreciate all of this gobbledygook that, that has, that's come out. Now, Dr. Matz, have you found it? I think I have. Okay. Um, he, he uses several different phrases. One phrase is, um, so there are not two bishops, right? Because according to his thinking, Francis is the Bishop of Rome and he's just a retired bishop. But there is a spiritual mandate the essence of which is to serve from the inside, from the Lord, in praying with and for his previous bishopric. That's how he sees Bishop Emeritus of Rome. And then he also uses another phrase. He says, this legal spiritual form avoids any thought of a coexistence of two popes, that is to say two bishops, because a bishop bishopric can only have one owner. At the same time, a spiritual, or I guess we could say invisible, connection is expressed that cannot be removed under any circumstances. Um, and then the other thing he says is, this means that the spiritual side of being a father remains, while on the side of concrete rights and obligation, the situation changes accordingly. Somebody okay. else is running the diocese. Any, okay, the one holy Catholic and apostolic church, the four mar those are the four marks of the church. It's one holy Catholic and apostolic. If you're, if you're cradle Catholic, you should have learned that in catechism class. If you're RCIA, yes. Even if you're RCIA, you should have learned that in RCIA, even a bad RCIA. The four marks of the church is that it's one holy, Catholic, and apostolic. The synthesis of those four marks is that it is visible. To argue that the church is invisible is, is basically Lutheranism, okay? To, to say that the church is invisible at its head, at its head is, is 
incorrect. And you say, well, Anne, you're a convert. You only converted to the church less than 15 years ago. Who, who do you think you are to be saying that Pope Benedict Ratzinger is wrong and you're right? Who, are you to, who, who, who do you think you are to correct the Holy Father? And my response to that is, who do I have to be? The church is visible, period. And it's visible at its earthly head, the principle of unity, which is the Holy Father, the Vicar of Christ, in his person, arguing that the church is invisible at its earthly head, the Pope, the Vicar of Christ, that is incorrect. And, you know, let let the, the cardinal princes of the church whoever's left whoever's left let let history out ahead of us let whoever it is sort through that but you say who do you think you are to make that assertion who do i have to be this is this is this is catholicism 101 the church is visible luther was wrong holy mother church is right visibility 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 and what's our confirming set of this well it's like mount everest at this point every picture of the two of them together and pope benedict is wearing the papal white wearing a modified version of the fisherman's ring um living inside the vatican being called his holiness the papal style retaining his papal name and on and on signing documents giving giving my apostolic blessing and on and on and on the all of these visible um datum or data are pointing to the visibility of the church herself one holy catholic and apostolic not to put too too fine a point on it but what Anne's saying here is that if we didn't have, let's say we had all, all of this uh, evidence that we're reviewing in terms of the interviews and the books and going back 50 years and you know what he thinks, what's in his mind, the visible data set is a huge confirmation and the position that Benedict is still Pope would be far less tenable if, if, the, if this visible aspect of it weren't there. Of course. I don't think any of us would be sitting here right now, we probably wouldn't know each other and we wouldn't be having this conversation or any of the previous conversations if he had put on a black cassock and gone to um, Gloria Thernentaxis's Schloss in Bavaria and locked himself in there, never to be seen or heard from again. We would not be having this conversation. Right. If he was living out his days at the Hofbrau House in Munich, that we're not all here right now. Right. That's why we're not we're not the ones with the tinfoil hats. We everybody everybody's being gaslighted, and we're still holding on to the truth. Yeah, exactly. Dr. Mata, I don't know if you've got a uh, a point a segue that you're moving on to, but at some point I do want to read in, in terms of the the visibility and the idea of the irrevocable acceptance of the office. Uh, I do want to read into the record because I'm dying to this, sure, go ahead. The, the, the one paragraph from the Gantzwine speech that, that really drives this home. Again, this is from May of 2016 and it's uh, Archbishop Gantzwine speaking about Pope Benedict. He has not abandoned the office of Peter. 
something which would have been entirely impossible for him after his irrevocable acceptance of the office in April 2005. I mean, right there. Wow. By an act of extraordinary courage, which elsewhere in this speech, earlier in this speech, he actually compared the decision of Benedict to God's decision to execute the Immaculate Conception. Yeah. So clearly, Ganswine thinks it's a pretty... Big deal. Big it's a big deal. deal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, something almost slipped out. Um, by an act of extraordinary courage, he has instead renewed this office, even against the opinion of well-meaning and undoubtedly competent advisors. And with a final effort, he has strengthened it, as I hope. Of course, only history will prove this. But in the history of the church, it shall remain true that in the year 2013, the famous theologian on the throne of Peter became history's first Pope Emeritus. Since then, and again, this is three, three years later, since then, his role, allow me to repeat it once again, is entirely different from that, for example, of the Holy Pope Celestine V who after his resignation in 1294 would have liked to return to being a hermit, becoming instead a prisoner of his successor, Boniface VIII. To date, in fact, there has never been a step like that taken by Benedict XVI. So it's not surprising, we're almost to the end, so it's not surprising that it has been seen by some as revolutionary or to the contrary as entirely consistent with the gospel or as, I think they should say, or as contrary, as to the contrary, I'm not sure about that part. While still others see the papacy in this way, secularized as never before, and thus more collegial and functional, or even simply more human and less sacred. Still others are of the opinion that Benedict XVI, with this step, has almost, speaking in theological and historical critical terms, demythologized the papacy. End quote. I mean, I mean, and, and we're the crazy ones. Again, um, I, I found, I came across something the other day that somebody posted, and it was um, 15 signs that you might be in an abusive relationship. And, you know, it, it, it bears mentioning several of these. Um, number six, controlling what you read, watch, and say. Well, how many of us or how many of you all, it's not me because I don't participate in, in comm boxes or anything like that, but how many of you all listening have been banned or blocked by other Catholics for even asking questions about any of this? Um, monitoring everything you do, um, punish you for breaking the rules. Again, that's being being blocked by, by these people for daring to even ask questions about something that is glaringly obvious. Um, telling you that it's for your own good and that they know better than you. Again, these are signs that you're in an abusive relationship. Don't allow you to question them. <laughs> um, tell you that you're crazy and no one agrees with you. Did we all not just see the, the informal poll that Taylor Marshall, who has a very big audience, did? It had, how many responses did that thing have? Like 7,000, something like that? 
I can't. I was going to say five thousand. Five thousand. Yeah, it was a sizable yeah. response on this poll. And if you think about it, five thousand trads in the U.S. That's a pretty. That's a pretty good sample, actually. Um, a plurality. The question was, who do you believe is the Pope? And the the options were um, Bergoglio, Benedict, um, both or nobody. And the plurality chose Benedict. But if you were to listen to the to the trad media, and again, we're we're experiencing this with the Trump situation. It's exactly the same thing. It's block all discussion, and then if anybody brings it up, try to convince them that you're the, you're the only you're the only one who's crazy enough to believe this. When in fact, the plurality of the people hold the position. Um, so it's exactly the same thing. Don't allow you to question. Tell you you're crazy call you names or shame you for being selfish or stupid or in this case a schismatic or a heretic again these are signs that you're in an abusive relationship um, gaslight you challenge your memory of events and make you doubt yourself dismiss your opinions this is huge we don't even have to engage the data set because Barnhart is so damn crazy that you, she doesn't even merit being engaged. And it's not just me. It's anybody who makes it. It's the, the, the thesis that Benedict is still the Pope is so stupid and so ill-informed, they say, that we don't even have to engage the data. Signs that you might be in an abusive relationship. Um, play the victim. If things go wrong, well, it's all your fault. Again, we're, we're, we're living this. This is, this is basically an abusive relationship, not just from the Novus Ordo church or the anti-church, whatever you want to call it, but huge swaths of traditional um, um, monetized traditional Catholicism is engaging in all of these activities that are clear-cut signs that you're in an abusive relationship how dare you think you're stupid your opinion doesn't matter you unlettered lay nothing uh don't fall for it folks you got to be strong and, and many of these same people you talk about diabolical disorientation many of these same people in trad inc haven't been to the sacraments in the last nine months what do you think that does to a person's intellect well, and being being encamped on social media, raging with profanity at perfect strangers, and accusing every every male who um, dares question you or confront you about anything you say of never having had a girlfriend and things like that. I mean, come on, come on, go go play your video games and and leave the rest of us alone you know it's 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 really infuriating and i i only bring this up because there are people out there who are who are genuinely scandalized by this and the antidote to scandal is the truth and just explaining what's going on to people and saying no sweetie you're you're not crazy and this is all it's completely legitimate to bring this stuff up. I mean, you know, you can call Mark and I, whatever you want to call us. What are you going to call Dr. Matzah? Is, is, is he some, is he some dum dum? He sure as heck isn't. And he sure as heck isn't unlettered. And he's come to exactly the same conclusion. And you know what, when you go to mass at a trad mass parish, chances are most of the people around you 
either hold the position that Benedict is still the Pope or think that it is totally, totally possible. So don't, don't allow, go ahead. And if I could just insert something here and, and uh, you know, uh, there are sane people out there that agree with the position that we've come to. And I'll just mention someone because um, people might not know this and he just passed away. So his name was uh, John Morehouse. He's the editor of Tan Books and Publishers. And I, I got word a week ago that he uh, he passed away. Lord, Lord rest his soul. Uh, but I had been in touch with him earlier this year. And so he, here's a clear headed, you know, uh, person. And I sent him a, a manuscript or a idea for a manuscript about the fact that, you know, Pope Benedict could have separated Vicar of Christ from Bishop of Rome. And, uh, you know, the, I can read to you guys what, what John Morehouse uh, said to me about my proposal. Uh, and again, I don't think he's a tinfoil hat uh, conspiracy theorist. He says here, personally, I find it very intriguing, <clears throat> excuse me, and worthy of a book. And he says, um, they're sort of, Tam was sort of busy at that moment with other, with other projects. And so he actually encouraged me to, to publish it um, on my own. Uh, and then later this year, he wrote back to me again. And he said, uh, I want to revisit your submission. Uh, I was looking at it again a few weeks ago and was more and more intrigued. All right, so here's an here's a intelligent, level-headed person. Again, uh, Lord rest his soul, he, he, he was only 51 years old, and he leaves behind a wife and five children. Um, by the way, his family has a GoFundMe page. But he was the, the editor at Tam Books. I mean, you can't get better than Tam Books, right? So um, um, we, certainly uh, people can, can call us names, but that's, you know, an ad hominem is basically the lowest form of, uh, of debate, right? Um, it's uh, for when you don't have an argument. <laughs> exactly. So you're, you're right to compare the situation going on right now uh, about President Trump and the election to uh, the situation with, with Papa Benedetto uh, and the resignation. And uh, even um, uh, Archbishop Vigano, I, I can't remember the exact date when he came out and said this, but he, he basically compared you know, the, what, what China is doing to the United States right now and what China is doing to the Vatican. And he said that as soon as we get to the bottom of what China has been doing at the Vatican, we'll, we'll uncover the circumstances as to why Benedict, quote unquote, resigned. So, uh, so again, uh, people in the know uh, know what they're talking about here, and we shouldn't be belittled for talking about the elephant in the living room. Yeah. And just the nexus of all of it with China. People say, oh, you guys are grasping at straws trying to put this stuff together. Look at what we're finding out about China and their activities with honeypots, with blackmailing people by their sexual exploits. Um, this is exactly the same thing as what's been going on in the Vatican. And what if, if, if you believe, and I actually do tend to believe this, the only thing that I found believable about the French sodomite, Charles, uh, not Charles Martel, um, Frederick Martel's book, 
which was called Sodoma in Europe. And I can't remember what it was called in the US. I, I just remember what it was called in Europe. It was called Sodom. And it was a book about the, the Sodomite infiltration of the Vatican. But this guy is a, is a Sodomite um, activist in, in France. So he was gleefully, you know, rubbing the, rubbing the Vatican's face in the fact that the whole thing is just crawling with Sodomites. And may I say, falsely accusing Cardinal Burke and Pope Benedict of being Sodomites, which neither one of them is. Um, but one of, one of the chapters in his book is it's, it's the most poignant chapter by far. It's when Pope Benedict, um, went to Cuba. If you remember, Pope Benedict went to Cuba. And it, it's uh, Martel reports in his book that when Pope Benedict found out of how completely sodomized the, the, the whole college of bishops was in Cuba, in Latin America, et cetera, et cetera, that he wept, that he sat there and wept I would tend to believe that. And I and I think that he found the same thing out about the Vatican, because that is the truth of the Vatican. The thing is just crawling with sodomites. So why would we not believe that Pope Benedict found this out, despaired? You've got the Chinese pressure, the Chinese are owning people right and left. They are they're paying the Vatican two billion a year since since the uh, usurpation of Bergoglio. They're they're explicitly paying the Vatican two billion a year. They've got dirt on pretty much all of them, sodomitical dirt, and probably in some cases um, um, the the active worship of Satan. China, the, the Chinese Communist Party is in the business of blackmail in terms of the United States, Biden, Hunter Biden. Why do you think the Chinese Communist Party would have anything to do with a slack-jawed, mouth-breathing imbecile like Hunter Biden? One reason. Gave him a better, gave him a deal that they wouldn't even give just the Goldman Sachs, right? Indeed, because he's blackmailable and he's stupid, and they could and they could engineer and install his father as a usurpatious head of state. Um, does this sound familiar? Um, installing Bergoglio as a usurpatious head of state by coercing Pope Benedict out the door. I mean, the, the nexus of this is just incredible. And so, yes, Dr. Matza, let's all start a prayer intention that you get the best book deal in the history of the world. You should write this book and you should you should make a, a nice tidy sum off of this. And I'm 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 not gonna apologize for saying that and I'm sure you will you will tithe appropriately if you make any money off of such a book. But yeah, somebody needs to do it because it's all there and it's real. And this gets us back to exactly what uh, happened in the book here with Seawald. Um, Seawald asks uh, Benedetto, U.S. journalist Rod Dreher said, quote, a friend who is close to Benedict told me that the Pope had resigned when he realized that corruption in the Curia went far beyond what he could fight. Now, Seawald is like posing this to Ratzinger as like a statement or as a, as a question. And Ratzinger replies, yes. 
And the question is, what was Ratzinger affirming when he said, yes, it was he affirming that uh, uh, Rod Dreher has a friend who's close to Benedict or was he affirming, uh, yes, I, 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 I resigned because I realized the corruption in the Curia went far beyond what I could fight. Well, and this is, this is a, a data point that points Dr. Matza to what you're saying in the Matza thesis about the possibility of Ratzinger um, only resigning the Episcopacy of Rome and holding the vicariate, um, as they say, in pectore, in his heart, you know, um, because think back to what he said I don't, it, was it before or after the fake conclave in March of 2013? I think it was after. Someone asked him about the sodomitical infiltration and, you know, the, card, the three cardinals prepared a 300-page dossier, which may I add, oh, this is a point of, oh, isn't this wonderful? As we are recording this, we're actually recording this on the 11th and it's gonna post tomorrow on the 12th. Do you know the date in 2012 in which the three Cardinals report was delivered to Pope Benedict? It was eight years ago today, the 11th of December, 2012. And you say, Anne, how in the world do you know that? That is a, quite a piece of trivia because I went eight years ago today to Rome as a tourist. I arrived in Rome on the afternoon of December 11th, 2012 as a tourist, and the dossier was presented to Pope Benedict on the afternoon of the 11th of December, 2012. And I've always kind of looked at that and thought, isn't that interesting? And then the other thing that I found interesting is that I went back to Rome in um, February of 2013, guess when I arrived? I arrived the day before he announced the fake resignation. I've, that's just a personal, and you know, you can put whatever stock in that that you want to. I personally put quite a bit of stock in that, that, I mean, what are, what are the odds? Good grief. But it was eight years ago today that that dossier was presented to him. Now, my point here is, is that at, I think it was after the conclave, somebody asked him about it. And his response was so mendacious. It was, it was up there. In fact, it was even worse than the lie he told when he said there were no black cassocks. Someone asked him, asked him about the dossier and he said, Pope Benedict said, oh, there were four or five of them in the Curia and I cleaned it up. That is a bold, faced lie and he knew it he absolutely 100% knew it i i tend to to view that as i mean he he's not a bad man i view it as like a a, a vietnamese pow um or an american pow in vietnam like tapping out with with blinking uh, torture as some of our POWs did back in the day. It's such a bald-faced lie that you've got to just sit back and say, wait, wait a minute, what's going on here? There were four or five of them? N no, it was four out of five. It was 80% 80, right. 80 or more of them are active sodomites, and he knows that. 
So I think well, that we, points to the matzah thesis that he that he potentially held the the vicariate in pectore. So, so whether it's you know prisoner blinking signals or or whatever you want to call it, if we were to give him the benefit of the doubt, I think what we'd say is for that incident, and you know there were no other clothes available. Yeah. That he was that he was saying it while he was winking back at the interviewer. You know, sort of, you know, yeah. obviously what I'm saying is not true. You get that, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So d- does that, is that a lie? If you say something like that, wink, wink, and 90 some odd percent of the planet thinks that you're being serious, is that a violation of the Eighth Commandment or not? I mean, that's that's for our Lord to um, to. to judge and all of that and this is why in the Matthew 17:20 intention the the fourth petition that i have in there is that ratzinger repent of whatever he might need to repent of no. i'm i'm not sure what that is but we i mean we're all sinners obviously you want him you want him to make a good confession before he dies but whatever it is that he needs to repent of whatever that is Please, God, let him do it so that he can someday achieve the beatific vision. And, you know, people have scolded me and, you know, this is all Pope Benedict playing 15-dimensional chess and all that. All I can say is, I I hope you're right. I I hope you're right. But if this is all some kind of a weird quasi-Eighth Commandment situation, then what, what is the best thing that could happen? That he just appear on the loggia and, and spell, spell this all out in person. Um, I, <laughs> I am kind of doubting that that's going to happen without supernatural intervention, but obviously... And obviously, without you going to Rome. Well... Because usually that's when these things happen. Well, you know... <laughs> when the <end> <laughs> right now, it is actually physically impossible for me to go to Rome, but, you know, mm. I mean, <laughs> y- you never know. You never know. But the, the thing what, that... Let's... Go ahead, sorry. Yeah. The thing that I worry about right now is, and again, you can't trust anything Ganswine says, but Ganswine is now saying that he can just barely kind of whisper and mumble and, you know, he's kind of fading into being a 93-year-old man. Who knows if that's true or not? Who knows? I, I know that I met someone who saw him in February in person, went and had an audience with him in Rome. It was amazing. And they said he was completely lucid and that he he was um, code shifting between three languages, German, Italian, and English, like nothing. So, I mean, that was that was 10 months ago. Now, it's true, a heck of a lot has happened in the last 10 months, but, but um, I don't trust anything Ganswine says, um, but ugh, yeah. Well, and you know, forget about his condition today, his condition eight years ago, clearly, you know, we're talking about these, are these, is he telling lies or is he wink, wink? How about the very reason that he gave for his resignation was that he no longer had the strength to properly, um, properly isn't the Administer. word adequately, adequately, adequately yeah. right. And more specifically that he didn't feel that he could travel to World Youth Day. <laughs> I mean, come on. <sighs> World Youth Day, which should be abolished anyway. Yeah, I was going to say, do you think he could have abolished the thing instead and <laughs> yeah. stayed on? And, 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 you know, really, get, getting on a jet is is that bad. 
I mean, I know, I know jet lag is awful, but um, seriously, you can't just get onto a jet and take a nap for however many hours that would be flying into Rio from Rome. And no, it's, that's and another I'm winky winky. Jet lag, I'm guessing the jet lag for the commoners is a little different from a chartered Italian jet where you've got a row of first class to yourself. Yeah, exactly. Where, you know, you probably have a, a sleeper sofa and all, all of that. Exactly. Yep. And, you know, going back to his words that he used in the resignation, uh, this folks might find this kind of interesting. So we, you know, I think I can say that we originally began to get our antenna up when he used the word moon, uh, ministry, ministerium, right, instead of, instead of munis. And um, this was brought to my attention by a, a Barnhard listener. Uh, yeah, this is a qu- quotation regarding ministry and, and, and munis. Um, in, in this original sense, the term ministry expresses only the work by which the church's members continue the mission and ministry of Christ within her and the whole world. However, the term is, uh, is distinguished from, when the term is distinguished from and compared with the various munera, that's the plural for, uh, for munis, and officia, then it should be clearly noted that only in virtue of sacred ordination does the work obtain that full univocal meaning that tradition has attributed to it. So, um, in other words, it, uh, this is a quote from a church document, and I'll tell you in a second who's quoting this church document, but let me give you the rest of the quote from the person that's commenting on it. It is necessary to be precise in using vocabulary uh, because uh, terminology can end up creating serious doctrinal misunderstandings. Now, who, who's saying this? This is Cardinal Seurat and approved by his, by his co-author, Pope Benedict. Right, they came out with the, with their book. I was it last February, uh, from the because you were just talking about last February, uh, where he was clearly lucid. Well, this is their book that came out, and there was that whole brouhaha about whether or not Pope Benedict uh, wrote it or said it, or or whether Cardinal Seurat was was promoting some kind of anyway. But this is this is quoted from the depths of our hearts, and and what is the essence of this? That ministry can mean something different from munis and that you have to be very precise when you use certain vocabulary in order to avoid serious doctrinal misunderstanding. Uh, I think people owe us an apology for, for thinking again that we're out there in left field with a hockey stick because we brought up the difference between munis and ministerium. Uh, Benedict does it in his latest book. Excuse me. Yeah, exactly. Sarai, you brings it up. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really laughable that exactly the same people who have been saying to me for years, who've been calling me an unle- unlettered lay nothing, you you don't know, you canon law is extremely complex, the words and terms have extremely precise meanings, um, you don't have a canon law degree, you have no competence to be saying anything about anything about canon law. Okay, that's before, that's X number of years ago. Now, all of a sudden, it's, you know what, canon law, all you have to do is take a given word, like ministerium, 
break open the Latin dictionary and any one of the synonyms that's listed under the definition of ministerium is totally copacetic. You can just go with that. It doesn't matter. Really, really 180 degree shift. So before me and Mark and anyone else, even Dr. Matzah, who doesn't have a canon law degree, none of us could say a word about any of this because we didn't have a canon law degree and we didn't understand the intense nuance and precision of the vocabulary of canon law and then 180 degrees as soon as as soon as we come out and this gets any traction and people are paying attention to this it's um no ministerium means whatever lewis and schwartz list of synonyms any all any of those are totally cool um shut up stupid and also you're ugly um boy not the most convincing argument in the world and the, the 180 degree flip that oftentimes is just to say it's a red flag is is putting it mildly when people start flipping 180s like that i mean you know something's up yeah there's two principles in law the one says that the it, it actually does have to be understandable and not terribly complicated because if you have to rely on someone else to tell you the truth of the law boy that sounds that doesn't sound right does it the other, the second point is that the plain meaning of the words are what we ascribe to the law. So you don't go and try to take something and twist it into a more complicated answer if a more plain answer is, is readily available. In other words, Canon 332, it specifically talks about a pontiff resigning the office. It's it's very clear. Yes, and it's it's been also thoroughly demonstrated that within within canon law, you're supposed to cross-reference other me, other incidences of a given term to get the context and the the meaning of what canon law is talking about. And it's it's been proven that what the term munus um, is referring to in canon law is in fact office, the state of being something, namely in this case, the vicar of Christ versus ministerium, which is something that someone does as a derivative, as a corollary of being the thing. So, you know, Queen Elizabeth right. is the queen of England and then she presides over parliament as an example. Um, and, and you can't tell me that, so, sorry, Ed, um, no, just um, the, the other part of Canon 332 is that who, who may or may not accept said resignation has nothing to do with the validity of the resignation. It's right there in Canon law. So anyone that tries to tell you well, it's just you three kooks. So obviously what you're saying can't be true. It's, it's because everybody else has accepted this. No, it says right in canon law that that shall not be a factor in validity. The second point I wanted to make was you can't tell me that it's a coincidence that it was Pope John Paul II who inserted the word office into this canon. In the 1917 code, 
it was canon 221 and it read if it happens that the roman pontiff resigns just resigns yeah just uh, resigns. no That's precision it. yes yes so every everybody hates the 83 code and it it, it, it Yes, it's absolutely flawed, and after the triumph of the Immaculate Heart, it will be it will be reworked and replaced. However, the divine providence, oh, he writes straight on crooked lines, and baby, we're under the 83 code, and there it is, right there. Everything about this is provided for in the 83 code, not in the 1917 code, which many people argue is vastly superior. Well, in many senses, the, seven, the 1917 code is, but in terms of this mess that we're in right now, the 83 code has it nailed down. And that is no coincidence, boys and girls. You know, guys, I don't know how we're doing on time here, but I want to make sure we, we get this in before we finish. Oh, absolutely. Uh, go, there's go. a couple of, couple of more great lines here that have to be unpacked from the Seawald interview. In the, in the Anglish version, um, so Seawold says to Papa Benedetto, one sentence from the sermon on your inauguration was particularly remembered, quote, pray for me that I will not flee fearfully from the wolves. And uh, Benedetto answers, again, I have to say that the radius of how much a pope can fear uh, is too small. Of course, matters like vatty leaks are annoying and above all incomprehensible to people in the wide world and extremely disruptive. But here it comes. The real threat to the church and thus to the Petrine ministry lies not in these things, but in the worldwide dictatorship of apparently humanistic ideologies. Uh, which contradicting means exclusion from the basic social consensus. A hundred years ago, anyone would have considered it absurd to speak of homosexual marriage. Today, anyone who opposes this is socially excommunicated. The same applies to abortion and the production of people in the laboratory. Modern society is in the process of formulating an anti-Christian creed, which... Uh, to be resisted is punished with social excommunication. The fear of this spiritual power of the Antichrist is then all too natural. And it really takes the prayer help of an entire diocese and the world church to resist it. Um, so uh, basically what, what Papa Benedetto is saying here is he's telling us, you know, wink, wink, uh, I I had to step to the side because of the Antichrist. Well, and the and oh oh the, that's 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 no big deal. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Blob, it's it's happened before. It's happened many times before. <laughs> but I think I think the code word in that is humanistic. What 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 is humanistic and humanism code for? I mean, and not secret code by any means. Freemasonry. 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 That's it, man. Oh, good grief. And then he goes on to say here, um, let's see here. Uh, so uh, Seewald says to him, Volker Reinhardt, church historian at the University of Fribourg in Switzerland, said, for me, the resignation of Benedict XVI, an act of extreme distancing from the conditions of the church and admission that he cannot run the church as it should be. 
And Benedetto replies, quote, an extreme distancing from the conditions of the church was definitely not my intention. Okay, so again, he's, he's not like um, Celestine wanting to just go back to his, you know, monastic cell and pray and read books, right? Um, he doesn't want to distance himself from the conditions of the church. He says, if you study the history of the Pope, you will soon realize that the church has always been a network of good and bad fish. It is part of the Catholic understanding of the church and the leadership offices in it that one does not think of an ideal church, but is ready to live and work in a church beset by the power of evil. Uh, so that's kind of admission on on his part about it, it, it contradicts his statement about oh we've we've cleared up the you know the the, uh, the there's very little sodomy going on we we cleared it up it's all nothing to see here four or five four or five of them yeah no not very many at all no well it's a contrast though with what we know to be the divinely protected office of the papacy and that that evil will not penetrate possibly into the personal life and conduct of a pontiff, but not that he should be able to touch doctrine. And that is the big, you know, you talked about scandal earlier, Anne, and that's the, you know, people who have been uh, very faithful, deeply Catholic in their, in their, you know, their, their worship, they're looking at this situation objectively and saying, well, Francis is definitely Pope, and that means all these other things that I've believed all my life must be false. And that's why we do what we do, because souls are being lost over this. And it's, it, I think it is a point of that, that blindness that has settled over the world, that apparently it doesn't even occur to a lot of these people that if they're looking at something and the, and the conclusion that they are almost immediately drawing is that our Lord is a liar, the church is, I don't know, um, a lie, non-existent, that the whole thing, maybe I should go to the schismatic Eastern Orthodox, you know, at best, at best, the, the best of them are saying, well, I still believe in God, but clearly the Catholic Church is wrong, so I'm going to go to the Eastern Orthodox. The fact that these people, and you know, I've called, I've called out one person, both um, privately via email and publicly, who I'm, ju I'm just shocked by this, that, that he doesn't grasp that there's something wrong with his base premise, is uh, just a, a wonderful guy, and that's Dr. Peter Kwasniewski. I've, I've emailed him directly and said, Peter, how can you look at this situation and not instantly say to yourself, there, there must be or even there could be something wrong with the base premise that I and almost everyone else that we're all holding as to the identity of the Vicar of Christ? How can that question not even occur to you? 
how can you keep going and reaching these conclusions that, well, you know, the church is all messed up, the papacy, clearly everybody's been wrong about the papacy. Anyone who thinks that the papacy is anything other than a meaningless figurehead position is an ultramontanist. And, you know, thank God that all this is happening because now we can get rid of all of this papolatry. Excuse me, you are accusing by using the word papolatry, which is a fusion of the words papal and idolatry. You are accusing everyone, everyone for the past 2,000 years, every saint, every doctor of the church, every, every faithful Catholic, you are accusing every one of these people of being and living their entire lives in the mortal sin of idolatry. Really? Seriously? Everyone for the past 2,000 years was wrong. But the post the, the post Vatican II academia and intelligentsia squatting on the internet on social in, on social media all day, you've got it all figured out. Thomas Aquinas was wrong. He was a mortally sinful idolater. Catherine of Siena was a mortally sinful idolater. And just go down the line, baby, because it's absolutely everyone, every saint, every doctor, everyone. Um, you're not going to investigate your base premise, really? Really? There might be something odd going on here. Um, I want, if, if we can quickly move on, if we've, if we've, or, or make a note and we need to come back to this. You know the, the Father Paul Kramer quote that you guys sent me? about Pope Benedict um, being accused of heresy on the same level as Bergoglio. Do you, can, we, can we attack that? I don't think we have time now, but we can do it next time. Okay. Well, okay, we're going to leave the people hanging. Dr. Matza, do you, have any, <laughs> what do, you, do you have anything to wrap up with what we were just talking about? Uh, with that last point about Father Kramer or just in general? Just in general. Uh, no, I think we, we pretty well, you know, covered uh, what Scalfari was trying to say and how that and how when what apparently Papa Benedetto was trying to say in, in the English uh, translation that's coming out. And um, yeah, um, Our Lady of Guadalupe, help us. <laughs> I've got a I've got a good prayer for us. Um, the, the one thing I wanted to say to wrap up was uh, in ter terms of the, the Petrine promises and um Dr. Matza brought it up on the church. It was either the church history or the world history course this week, but it was actually the uh, the communion verse for the mass today, which is the mass of Sedilijis Me. Um, the Kim yes, if you if you love me, let me get it right. If thou lovest me, Simon Peter, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. Uh, but let me get to the communion verse, which is in English, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. But of course, in the Latin, it says, thou art rocks, plural. Tu es Petrus. Which means the promise carries down through the ages. Right, right. Which which knocks the the pro that's you know the primary argument against the protestants is they're saying well it was just peter P 
Peter Barjona or Simon Barjona. And then when he died, that was the end of it. Well, of course not. No, of course not. It was all of the Peters. And you're, you come to the inescapable conclusion that if you hold that, that Bergoglio is the vicar of Christ, then you are effectively denying the divinity of Christ because Christ is either an, an oath breaker, a liar, or mistaken. And if he is any of those three things, then he's not God. He's not divine. And that's what you come to. So all of this rhetoric about, well, you know, he, he's the Pope, but he's not in union with Christ, and that's not my problem. Well, actually holding a position that scandalizes uh, most people and is a clear violation of the law of non-contradiction that actually is your problem, and you'll be held to account for that. And um, we have to we have to pray that this this thing gets resolved, and specifically that that the people who consider themselves, I guess, our enemies, and consider us to be schismatics or or whatever, um, we have to pray for them doubly doubly hard. Okay, can we wrap with a couple prayers? I think we should. Okay, the first is, again, December 12th, Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe, Patroness and Empress of the Americas, the Collect for the Mass. Let us pray. O God, who hast willed that, under the special patronage of the Blessed Virgin Mary, we be laden with perpetual favors, grant to thy supplicants, that as we this day rejoice in her commemoration on earth, we may enjoy the vision of her in heaven. And the second prayer that I have to Our Lady of Guadalupe. Our Lady of Guadalupe, mystical rose, make intercession for the Holy Church. Protect the sovereign pontiff. Help all those who invoke thee in their necessities. And since thou art the ever-Virgin Mary and mother of the true God, obtain for us from thy most holy son, the grace of keeping our faith, of sweet hope in the midst of the bitterness of life, of burning charity, and the precious gift of final perseverance. Amen. In the name Amen. of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Oh, I have one more. Sunday, uh, December 13th, is the uh, Feast of St. Lucy. Let us pray. Relying on your goodness, O God, we humbly ask you, by the intercession of your servant, St. Lucy, to give perfect vision to our eyes, that we may serve you and your greater honor and glory. We pray for the salvation of our souls in this world, that we may come to the enjoyment of the unfailing light of the Lamb of God in heaven. St. Lucy, Virgin and Martyr, hear our prayers and answer our petitions. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Okay. Ready for the wrap up? Yes, sir. Feedback, the email address for the show, if you have any comments, suggestions, um, a lot of content here. The email is podcast at barnhart.biz. Masses for Anne's benefactors, at least one mass every day. Correct me if I'm wrong, Anne, this is a, a little bit dated, this copy that I'm reading. At least one mass every day, plus one requiem every week for everyone who died in the previous week. Yes, sir. Please Please pray for these priests and all priests now more than ever. Do we even need to say it? The satanic forces are attacking. I'm sure you feel it out there. So pray for these priests and 
You know, your prayers to God for this intention can really hold back that tide. The Barnhart Podcast is a production of Super Nerd Media. If you got some value out of this or previous podcast and would like to return some value, please visit, let me get it right, supernerdmedia.com slash donate for more information. (laughs) Finally, I got it right. Even though he's not on this recording, Actually, he was on this recording, I think, for a few for a few minutes. We had some technical glitches. Uh, if SuperNerd weren't editing, processing, perfecting, and all the rest, you wouldn't be hearing it right now. He also keeps Ansight going against all cyber threats, foreign and domestic, of which uh, they are increasing. And uh, WordPress just deplatformed in the conservative treehouse earlier this week. So it's, it's, it's happening, folks. Um, so now we'll, we'll close with the, our special collect, but Anne, if you want to do the 1720, Matthew 1720. Real quick, don't forget guys, sign up for Dr. Matza's spring courses at it's edmundmatza.com, right? Yes. Okay. At edmundmatza.com. Um, the Matthew 1720 intention fourfold that Bergoglio be publicly recognized and removed as anti-Pope and the whole thing be nullified that Pope Benedict Ratzinger be publicly recognized as having been the one and only living vicar of Christ since April of 2005, that Bergoglio repent, revert to Catholicism, die in a state of grace in the fullness of time and someday achieve the beatific vision and that Pope Benedict likewise repent of whatever he might need to repent of die in a state of grace in the fullness of time and someday achieve the beatific vision nothing less will do our lady undoer of knots pray for us pray for us amen and lastly the matthew 17 20 collect in the name of the father the son and the holy ghost almighty god the sovereign of all things who gave the keys of the kingdom to your servant peter and his validly elected successors grant we beseech thee that your church here on earth be quickly cleansed of the modernist infiltration, all immoral clerics, and all other corruption, that the anti-Pope Jorge Bergoglio's invalid election be publicly recognized and completely nullified before the death of your servant, Pope Benedict XVI, that Bergoglio repent, return to the one holy Catholic faith, and that in the fullness of your time, die in a state of grace and, and achieve the beatific vision. All this we ask through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Ghost, one God, now and forever. Amen. Name right. of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. I usually, I guess, we usually do either the collect or you do the. Well, we prayed twice, so this there episode, you have it. <laughs> this this episode was so ferocious and so intense. I think the fact that we did both of them is totally apropos. So yes. <laughs> okay. Well, until next time, I'm Mark. Stay frosty, my friends. And I'm Ann. Thanks, guys. God bless. 